the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Turn to Revelation chapters 8 and 9, and we get a seven trumpets scene. And we're not talking about a jazz band in New Orleans. Join us, Abounding Grace, with Pastor Gary Wagner in the book of Revelation, next. No matter your view on end times, one thing is perfectly clear. It is not pretty for those who are rebellious and enemies of God. It is, if you will, a real primer for evangelism, especially for those of us who know Jesus. The end is rather brutal for those outside of the grace of God in Christ. Please join us today in Revelation chapter 8 as Pastor Gary Wagner returns us there with a look at the seven trumpets. The judgment of God continues. And man, if ever there was a moment for us as believers to look on and say, Lord, please save more, it is right here. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. So the nations in the Old Testament were deceived in a way that they are not deceived today though there is still much deception. But there are millions upon millions of Christians in virtually every nation on this earth who knows how many millions of Christians there are in red China. So the point I'm getting at is there is not the deception of the nations today as there was then. Even though there is much, there is still an opening of the gospel all over the world. So Satan here is the instigator of this army, and he has fallen. In John 12, 31, Jesus made an interesting statement. He said, now judgment is upon this world, that is on those who are rebelling against God. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Now, he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. So, here you have Jesus saying, while he was still alive in John 12, that through his being lifted up on the cross, he would be rendering a death blow to Satan. Now, the prince of this world and the instigator of rebellion against God is cast out. And Jesus is saying, as a result of my death on the cross, so you now are being are going to see the perishing of Satan. Not literally, but a tremendous restraining of Satan's power in this world. And you see the same thing, you know, in Hebrews 2, where it says, Jesus was incarnate and became a man, that he might render powerless him who had the power over death that is the devil, and set free those who are slaves to sin and death all of their lives. So it's not the second coming when Christ 
is going to render Satan powerless so that he's no longer an insurmountable obstacle to the deception of nations. This all happened at Christ's death. Satan is not alive and well. And when Jesus comes again, he will cast Satan into the fiery pit forever. And that's that for Satan. But even now, besides being restrained by the sovereignty of God, Satan is restrained by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the first promise in the Bible? God said that the seed of Eve would crush the serpent's head. So when Jesus died on Golgotha, which means the hill of the skull, the the cross was planted right there on that skull to visualize the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of that very first promise in the Bible, that he came to deliver a death blow to Satan. So Satan's death blow is received through the death of Christ. And the way Christ continues to keep Satan underfoot is through the faithful preaching of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through your faithful preaching and teaching, beloved. Roman ends in chapter 16 by saying, Satan shall be cast under your feet shortly as we are faithful in standing against false doctrine and living faithfully. And preaching faithfully God's word. And what is it we learn in Luke 10 where uh, Jesus sent out his disciples to preach. And they said, we had great success. And Jesus said, I know. I saw Satan falling like lightning while you were preaching. We learn that the way Satan is put under the foot, underfoot and defeated. So that he has no great influence in a culture is through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and the faithful preaching and teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this instigator of this massive army is a leader who is already defeated. Beloved, he's already been stomped into the ground. He's already fallen before the battle actually started. So you have 200 million people following a leader who was already defeated. And it's because they want to follow someone against Christ. You know, there's absolutely no reason to follow Satan and any of his desires or of his schemes except to oppose Christ. And he's already beaten. He's dead in the water. Beloved, it's already over. The battle has been won, and our great Lord Jesus Christ is the victor. Satan is real. He can be a threat still, but understand he's not a threat to God. He has always been under God's control, but his power has now been even more greatly restrained by the death of Christ, and it continues to be restrained by the preaching and the teaching and the living out of the gospel. So now, that's the instigator of this big army of locusts. And anyone who has read the Old Testament knows that locusts has played a role in God's judgment and in the prophecy of the Old Testament concerning Israel. Locusts was one of the plagues that God brought upon Egypt to liberate Israel. But turn to Joel chapter 1 
and you'll see where John might have gotten his imagery here. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of Joel 1. Joel chapter 1, verse 1, and I will read through verse 7. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, Hear this, O elders, and listen, all inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or in your father's days? Tell your sons about it and let your sons tell their sons and their sons, the next generation, what the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten, and what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten, and what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. Awake, drunkards and weep and well all you wine drinkers on account of the sweet wine that is cut off from your mouth for a nation has invaded my land mighty and without number its teeth are the teeth of a lion and it has the fangs of a lioness it has made my vine or Israel a waste and my fig tree splinters it has stripped them bare and cast them away their branches have become White. So he says, because of the apostasy of Israel, there's this massive army of locusts that will strip Israel bare as an expression of God's destruction and devastation for her unbelief. Now, back in Revelation 9, we're not going to look for specific meanings for all of these descriptions, but it is, of course, the overall impact of it. And remember these two words um, this, for this army. It is disgusting and terrifying. If you saw an army of 200 million locusts the size of horses with faces of men and all these other things on them, it would be disgusting for us to look at. And it would be terrifying to us. And that's how God is describing the armies he uses to raise up against his apostate people. Now, I want you to notice who suffers at the hands of this army. This is very important. Satan instigates this massive army, the largest one ever gathered. And what is it called to do? Well, here are two things it can't do. It says in verse 4, They were told that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree. That is, they could not do any destruction to the inheritance of God's people. Whatever else they do, they're not allowed to destroy God's inheritance for his people. Remember, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It is the blessings of the earth, particularly in the land of Israel, that were not allowed to be destroyed by this army. So what else? Verse 4. They were told not to destroy anything green, and they were to destroy only (coughs) the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now that was the vision we encountered earlier in chapter 7, where God says... He's going to bring judgment upon Israel. And the only people who will survive will be the people he has sealed. People he has, (coughs) excuse me, rendered safe. 
so that evil cannot get to them. That is, those whom he has separated to himself, the true people of God, who did not apostatize, those are the ones who will be protected. So here it says that this hideous and disgusting army can only harm their own kind. Do you see that? It is the seal of God that are godly. It is those who have God's seal that are faithful Christians. And if you don't have the seal of God, you are a rebel against God. You're not a part of God's family. And the only people this hideous army could do any danger to were those unregenerate rebels, those lawless, Christ-like apostates of the earth, and especially in Palestine. This massive army of locusts leashed, unleashed a wicked power on the people of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., by which they destroyed their own kind. They shot their arrows into their own breasts. And the lesson we learn from this is that all attempts to destroy the people of God are suicidal for the assailants. Here God raised up and controlled this hideous army instigated by Satan that would have loved to have had killed all the Christians but wound up killing all the apostate just like themselves in Jerusalem. And the Christians survived. The fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD was not the beginning of the destruction of the church. It wasn't a sad day for the church. God destroyed the temple of Jerusalem so to preserve the temple or church of God. God destroyed the temple in Jerusalem that represented apostate Judaism so as to preserve the faithful church of the Lord Jesus Christ. God cleared the way. He got rid of apostate Judaism and all of their persecuting of the church. And soon he would get rid of Rome so that the whole world would lie open to the people of God. So all attempts to destroy the people of God are suicidal for the assailants, beloved. And as I have said, there is no record of any Christian dying in the fall of Jerusalem. Now notice the desperation and hopelessness of the victims of this hideous army in verse 6. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. Uh, you can feel the desperation here. They turn every way where for relief, but to the one place they can get relief, and that is, of course, Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They're willing to turn to anything else. They rejected Jesus as the Messiah, yet in just a few years, there came false messiah after false messiah that thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jewish people flocked to. They were willing to turn to anything to find relief from this judgment except to the one true messiah who could do them any good. Notice the length of the invasion of this hideous army. Verse 10. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. Now, what is this five months? Here again, we've got to walk humbly with God to figure this out. Uh, 
So why does Jesus say that this army that shall be so devastating to apostate Jerusalem will carry on its its invasion for five months? Well, remember now, everything is figurative. And I think that this is a very good possibility. Listen, five months is the lifespan of locusts. And five is half of ten, and ten is the number of completion in Scripture. So five months is a long period of time, but not excessively long. It's a, really an incomplete period of time. So the promise is that this invasion shall last about the length of the life of a grasshopper. It's going to be for a while, but it will not last forever. It will come to an end. The persecution will come to an end by Jerusalem and by Rome. It will not go on for a long period of time. Of course, when we compare this text, Revelation 9, to Luke 21:20, it becomes for us easy for us to identify this hideous army with the Roman army and the besieging of Jerusalem. Let me read a few verses again from Luke 21. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from Luke's perspective, and he's describing the fall of Jerusalem. And he says, beginning in verse 20, But when you see Jerusalem, of course in the first century, surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these are days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, that is, non-Jews, the Romans, until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So it's easy for us to say, and honestly, that these armies that brought desolation to Israel in 70 A.D. were the hideous armies of locusts in Revelation chapter 9. Now notice these locusts have a king, verse 11. They have a king over them, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek his name has, he has the name Apollyon. Now, it is easy on the surface to say that applies to Satan. But let me give you some reasons why I think this refers to the emperors of Rome, most particularly one emperor. They, that is, these hideous, terrifying armies, have a king over them, the angel of the abyss, under satanic influence. He has two names. In Hebrew, it is Abaddon, and in Greek, it is, is, it is Apollyon. And both of those words mean destruction. In other words, in verse 11, we have a derogatory reference to the Greek god Apollo. Roman emperors up to this point and even thereafter often claimed a special relationship to the god Apollo. And Apollo and Apollyon are derived from the same Greek word meaning destroyer. And guess 
what the symbol was of the god Apollo. It was the locust. Nero, who was the emperor when the book of Revelation was written, died in about 60 AD, and he imitated Apollo in the way he lived, in his personality, and in his dress. Later on, the evil emperor Domitian claimed to be the incarnation of the god of Apollo. So it seems to me, this army instigated by satanic influence from Satan himself at the very deepest level also has a king over them that identified himself with Apollo, with Abaddon, and that was the Roman emperors most particularly, from Nero to Domitian. So, the destructive host of hell inspired by Satan had as their king the emperor of Rome. Now, I'll make this one point and then we're finished. This is God's assessment of all anti-Christian governments, beloved. They are destructive. They bring desolation. They are an enemy of the people of God. And they use whatever hideous means and terrifying forces they have to destroy God's moral order and to put in its place one of their own making, which is happening right now in these United States and around the world. And that is the way we as Christians must think. The issue was not Republican versus Democrat. The difference is between those who are sealed by God and those who are not in an evil culture. And you and I must not identify with or support anyone who identifies with the ideals of Apollo or Apollyon. We must not support or identify with or vote for anyone who is a civil magistrate bent on the destruction of God's people and on the destruction of God's moral order. That's the way we must think. We can't ever be pragmatic. We must quit thinking. Well, we have certain goals we want to reach, but we're not going to reach them now. So the best we can do is support so-and-so. Or the blessed plan we have now is to endure so-and-so. For now, let's be practical. Nothing, beloved. I mean, nothing works except that which is based on the word of God. And whenever we allow ourselves to compromise with or negotiate with or bargain with Apollo and his forces, we stand against the forces of God. We must call things as they really are. And God's assessment of all anti-Christian civil magistrates that are bent on a principle of revolt against the living God and have, not, have no intention to submit to Him, He says concerning them, they are the first of all His enemy, the enemy of the church and must be treated as such and are not to ever be compromised with or endorsed. My friends, in our next election, remember that. Now, what does that mean practically? That means if you think like a Christian, 
That is, as God assesses things about civil magistrates, you're going to have less people to vote for. There will be less names on the ballot for us because you and I may not vote for any Apollyons or anyone who identifies with Apollo because Apollo brings the destruction always of Abaddon, the angel of the abyss. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866-5607. We thank you for joining us, and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. (music) 